Molly and Gracie, thank you for two very beautiful Divrei Torah. You taught us both things that we really need to know. And even though neither of you were writing about this morning in particular, and neither did I, by the way, your themes are relevant. Molly, you talked to us about Moses seeing God face to face and the contradiction between that descriptor and the previous admonitions against such a dangerous encounter, whether that was Hiskuni's interpretation, which is that seeing God's face is really about seeing God's light up close, or Ibn Ezra's, that Moses grew to the point where God's light was also emanating from within him, enabling him to encounter God's light without harm. You gave us beautiful imagery with which to consider the relationship between our greatest prophet, Moses, and God. And you also brought it home to us, inviting us to think about the ways we might grow and change over time, becoming more able to draw near to God and more able to see each other's faces. Whether that's the faces of those you might at first not know or trust, as happens with campers at Seeds of Peace, who learn by being face-to-face -to, -face to understand one another and even love one another, or whether that's about our shared experience of masking during the pandemic, in which many of us felt protected and kind of safer, but not just physically, but even maybe emotionally, by being able to hide a little bit behind our masks, but then also experiencing the loss of intimacy and connection that comes from being able to see one another's whole faces. Perhaps we even learned from the pandemic that true safety, absent a plague, lies in full, unmediated connection with others in seeing each other's whole faces. Gracie, you asked us, what is a bracha? Such an important question for all of us and one that we usually skip right over because it's really basic, but we shouldn't skip over it because we actually don't know. It's not a simple answer. You brought us four answers. A wish for something good for the person you're blessing, like oil or sweet fruit or land or success. Words of gratitude that wake us up to what is good in life. That you taught us that being a blessing as Abraham was means embodying hope. And in that same vein, you taught us that Moses' brachot were about giving hope to the Israelites. But you pointed out the complexity in Moses' speech to the Israelites, which did not begin in our portion, as you taught us, but all the way back at the beginning of Deuteronomy and was mostly comprised not of blessing, but of harsh, intense, nonstop criticism. So what you see here is Moses using critique to guide the people to the promised land and then giving them hope at the end that they can succeed within it. And you likened this approach to the stereotypical Jewish mother. As you said, Gracie, this moment is not an ending, but a beginning. And it's about you and Molly growing up and becoming the Jewish women you're going to be. You are transforming right before our eyes from daughters, which you'll always be, to women who, God willing, and if you choose, will eventually be Jewish mothers yourselves. For much of history, it seems, people believed that criticizing children was necessary to teach them the right way to be. Moses clearly thought that criticizing the Israelites was necessary to get them to the promised land and to shape them to behave appropriately when they arrived. As you said, Jewish mothers have, stereo have been stereotyped in this way, as nagging or harsh or shaming, and generally as constantly criticizing their children. And in some cases, I'm sure that's true. But not only is that approach to parenting not unique to Jewish mothers, the evidence right here in Torah is Moses as case in point, but the stereotype itself is its own form of harsh, 
blaming, shaming, pervasive criticism that fails to see Jewish women with empathy. And I want to make sure that if it's internalized in any of us, we get that right on out. If from here on out anybody tells you that Jewish mothers are particularly critical, please point them to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. And with just a little effort, you would be able to find many non-Jewish examples of highly critical people and highly critical parents. We all seem to be learning in this generation that it's more effective and more pleasant to treat a child or any person you're trying to influence with true empathy, to understand what is causing their undesired behavior, and to gently guide them to change by first showing them that they are seen. And of course, no person, and particularly no parent, given the onslaught of pressures and annoyances that parenting involves, is perfect or perfectly patient to achieve this ideal all the time, nor should they be expected to be. But I do think that the ideal itself is shifting from one of critique to one of empathy. And this brings us back to you, Molly, to seeing the face of the other. By the way, Emmanuel Levinas, who among Jewish thinkers says the most about seeing the face of the other, calls God the absolute other and argues that anytime we see the face of another human being, we become responsible, we become obligated to that face, containing as it does the transcendent within it. It therefore requires tremendous courage to truly look at another face and to take off our own masks, to allow ourselves to be seen. Like Moses, we can develop and grow in our ability to tolerate that risk and to see the other face to see the other face to face, and to see the light of godliness in each unguarded face. As you both taught us, Molly and Gracie, tonight is a major Jewish holiday, Simchat Torah. Today is Shemini Atzeret, and for some people also Simchat Torah. And we're finishing the holiday of Sukkot and still in the afterglow of Yom Kippur. And the Zohar teaches that the gates of prayer that are usually thought of as closing at the end of Yom Kippur in the Ne'ilah service are still open all the way to the end of Sukkot. Yesterday was called Hoshana Rabbah, which means the great salvation. On Hoshana Rabbah, Jews take the willow branches out of our lulavim, the branches that we shake on the holiday, and we make seven great circles while chanting prayers, and then we beat the willow branches. We beat them until all the leaves fall off. And some say that this is a kind of a rain dance. And some say that it is a second mini Yom Kippur in which the leaves represent any remaining sins and knocking them off the branches is like a second tashlich, sending them away from us. But the Sfat Emet teaches that at the end of Sukkot, as the gates truly close, which is now, our focus is on the leaves of the willow because they look like mouths or lips. And the mouth, he says, is the essence of the Jewish people's strength. That ultimately our strength lies in our mouths and in our mouths and in our words, because that's where prayer and brachot, blessings, come from. And nothing but prayer and blessing is needed to save us. And ultimately, it's what we have. As you, Gracie and Molly, grow into Jewish women, may you find the courage to take off your masks all the way and to see and be seen face to face. May you find empathy in that seeing, both with those closest to you and those who seem like strangers. May your mouths transform the harshness of our world into words of brachot, 
awakening you and others to what is good and hopeful within us and in each other and in our world. Shabbat Shalom and Chag Sameach. Now, we will be returning the Torah to the Ark, but first I need to say some words about Israel. We have been, for the last few weeks, reading a special blessing at this moment, prayer for Israel. And that prayer, while praying for the well-being of the people of Israel and the state of Israel, also specifically was a prayer to support the protesters in the streets who are fighting for democracy and for justice. And it also included a lot of language about wishing for the well-being of all the inhabitants of the land, that they would have freedom, that they would have justice, that they would have peace. 